Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Please listen with care. Lisa and I created this podcast with the goal of enlightening each other and our listeners in prevailing over narcissistic and toxic people and relationships. Our mission with this podcast is to help survivors of toxic relationships recognize red flags and areas of personal growth while equipping them with strategies for ultimate and lasting mental health across all relationships. This is a podcast of self-discovery. We'll be talking about personal freedom, safety, security, and strength while embracing our inner voice, recognizing and honoring our gut instinct, accepting imperfection, showing grace to ourselves, and starting anew. Many of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. Our podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes only and should not be viewed as a replacement for therapy. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities and see our show notes for helpful suggestions. Some names and identities have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent Lisa's or my views. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See our show notes for the links. If you have a red flag story you'd like to share for an upcoming episode, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at heresyourredflag at gmail.com or private message us through Here's Your Red Flag Facebook or Instagram pages. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror Well, there was nothing that I seen You lie, I cried But a Welcome back to Here's Your Red Flag. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Tony. So, Lisa, I am so excited about this potentially multi-part interview that we're going to have with our special guest, Lily. We intended to make it just a a pre-screening Zoom call with her, and the information that she provided was just so golden. And while a little bit of editing was needed, of course, because it was a, a natural Zoom call, not intended for publication per se. It was it was too good. And so we are going to air our preliminary call yeah. and share that with our listeners because we just think that y'all will love it as much as we did. Mm-hmm. Lily is an amazing lady. She is so brave. She's so generous with sharing what she's, you know, not only experienced and suffered, but how she's so strong now and is an example of how you not only survive, but prevail Mm -hmm. from an abusive marriage. Yeah, I really can't wait for the audience to hear the gift of Lily and it's very natural and sort of uncut, if you will. And so... The raw, uncut version. The raw, uncut version of our conversation with her. And it's just really neat and organic and just unfolded the way it should. And upcoming episodes will be a little bit more organized. But we just wanted to share with you just what a beautiful night we had getting to know a survivor. Absolutely. It's wonderful talking with a fellow survivor. And I just think the audience is going to love it as much as we did. Mm -hmm. So enjoy. We are so looking forward to this episode as we have a very special guest with us. Lily reached out to us with a very powerful story about surviving domestic abuse from a bipolar narcissist. Her story is about trusting your gut as a mother to ensure the safety of your children. Her story is an interesting one. From being told she was worthless, living with constant abuse and terror, to prevailing by educating herself through therapy, journaling, and moving on to designing a beautiful life as an educator and a constant protector of her children. Hi, Lily. We are so happy to have you on today's episode. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. How are you guys? We're great. Doing great. 
Lily, what motivated you to reach out to Tony and me and by extension, our Here's Your Red Flag audience? Well, I have a girlfriend of mine, one of my best friends, who's going through something very similar. This is her second divorce, and she's also divorcing a covert narcissist. A lot of similarities between her relationship and the relationship with my ex. I was not really heavily into listening to podcasts except for the crime drama stuff I didn't even know that there was such a huge world of podcasts that you could potentially listen to I read a lot of books on narcissism um, when I found out what it was and she really kind of opened this whole new world of podcasts to me because so many people um, like her and a lot of many other people that I've met um, have suggested that I that I write a book about my experiences so I figured maybe this would be you know, a good first step on this platform to share my story with everybody. Well, we are so glad that you reached out mm -hmm. to us and your story is one of bravery and a great example. And I think it will serve as just a wonderful help to those who are possibly going through the same thing or maybe to prevent others from going through something like what you've gone through. Yeah, I agree. I hope so. That's my goal. I think a key to healing from narcissistic abuse is understanding how we got there. And we dedicate the first two episodes of our podcast to understanding how I was wired and conditioned to accept such bad behavior from my second husband. And so I wanted to ask you, Lily, what was your childhood like and what was the family dynamic? So I was born uh, in the Philippines, and although I only lived there until I was five, I do remember a significant portion of it. I mean, going back to very early on, we were from, you know, a wealthier family. We had help. My dad was very type A. He was the breadwinner. So I did live with my grandparents and my parents. They had this huge, almost like mansion in the Philippines where we had maids, we had cooks, etc. Okay. Moving forward, that was kind of when I don't, when Marcos was coming into power and martial law was going to be set in place. So my family wanted to think, you know, of an exit plan and they had been wanting to move to the United States anyway, because my dad was a really talented computer engineer. And at that time, that was when computers uh, technology was booming. So when we moved here, I was about five years old. And I think the culture growing up in the Philippines was a lot different. You know, just respect your elders no matter what. Don't question anything, that type of thing. That's how I'm remembering it, at least. So we moved here and I was really, really shy. I could tell that in hindsight, I think it's from trauma. And I'm still trying to unfold that with EMDR therapy. I'm still currently doing that because when I was a kid, I was so, so anxious that I couldn't even talk in public. I could not even say hello to one of my uh, preschool or um, Montessori friends, like four or five. I couldn't even have one of those conversations. I was so anxious. I was so terrified to say the wrong thing, even like a hello. So I would just stand in my little corner. I remember my mom, because my mom was, was the one that kind of always dealt with me. My dad was just always on the side working. She said, listen, you really have to try to make a friend, make at least one friend, you know, and then I don't know how it happened, but I had just decided, okay, I'm going to pick Margo. Margo is going to be my friend. So, you know, she was my friend and then, but that's how it was growing up. I was just, I was so, so shy. And it was the same thing when we came to this country, I was known as the quiet kid. I remember I went to Catholic school in San Francisco and every year they did a play on, you know, baby Jesus for Christmas and I remember that I had memorized all of the lines. There were all of these different scenes with Mary and Joseph and, you know, three kings and whatnot. But they always picked me to be in the scene where Mary's just holding the baby because they did not think that I would be able to speak. And my mom was just like, you have all of these lines memorized. How, how have they not picked you? And it was something so internal. It, you know, it must have been some kind of trauma because I cannot imagine a kid at that age having so much anxiety, but I did grow up with definitely feelings of um, lacking self-worth, being afraid what people would think. So that's my very, very onset of my childhood. Yeah. So of course, and then it, you know, and then it kind of like becomes bigger and bigger, like, okay, well, she's the girl that doesn't talk. So now it's like, 
I can't talk ever because I'm the girl that doesn't talk. So if I did talk, oh my God, like all of this attention would be on me. And I would be like the weird girl that finally talked after all these years. I just, I can't do that. So after the third, I remember I told my mom, okay, I promise you after second grade, second grade's going to go by. I'm going to go into third grade and then I'm going to start fresh, but I'm going to start fresh at the beginning of the year. So I found this one friend, her name was Shauna and she was new. She didn't know me. So I started talking to her and yeah, after that, I was just like this talkative kid, but I started that way with that level of anxiety. I was a very anxious kid from very, very early on. My dad was very, very strict. I was always afraid to go to him for anything. I mean, any kind of warmth. I remember him. An example was my brother and I would take swimming lessons and my mom, my dad worked at home, you know, because he was a computer engineer. He could work wherever he wanted. My mom worked away. She worked at a jewelry store. And so I remember seeing all of the kids, their parents, like after they get out of, get out of the, the swimming pool, they would take their towels and like wrap them around their kids. And my dad would not even do that, you know? And I'm just like, oh man, I wish I would like, you know, like I wish I had that kind of warmth. So I never had that with my dad. Like I got all of that parenting um, for my mom. So none of that, none of the father daughter dances. I mean, he would have gone, but I never felt comfortable you know, I, I had a very, very distant, you know, very shallow kind of relationship with my dad. It's better now, but you know, now that I'm kind of learning about different personalities, now I've done a lot of therapy now that I know that um, everyone's going through their own thing. But yeah, in the very beginning, I, I was very, very, had a very distant father. What were your parents' messages to you about yourself that you internalized? That was a lot. Let me think. Definitely, you know, accolades, good grades were praised, you know, of course, I remember, and I don't think it's her fault in hindsight, but I remember my mom, because my dad never talked to me about this kind of stuff. My mom would say, you don't want to be known as the weird kid. But I think in hindsight, it's just because maybe she couldn't think of any other term for it at the time. And, you know, mental health was just not spoken about. It was, it was not acknowledged at all back then. So I'm just like, okay, I don't want to be weird. But then of course, that word is like clicking in my head, like weird, I need to do the right thing, you know, like, I don't want to be this person. So when I would have those kind of struggles, like talking, or being anxious about a situation, for both my parents, it would just be like, well, just kind of get over it, you have to, you know, get over it. But the root cause was never really discussed or tried to be understood, because I don't think that they knew to do that at the time, you know, because like I said, mental health was just not a thing, you know, like just try to get over it. I know you can like, why would you do that? That's, that's not how you do it. You know, just, just do this, just, just do this, but not understanding what the root cause of it is. So uh, it, it was kind of like that growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot, maybe a lot of compliance demands. Like if you would a lot just of compliance, a lot of just not understanding, you know, what I was going through, even as an adolescent, um, you know, what I was going through hormonally, maybe what I was going, just what I was going through, um, having to go to a new school. Yeah, it was a lot of compliance. And it was a lot of I'm able to do something like this. Why can't you why can't you just compartmentalize and not do this, but do this instead, you'll be happier. Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't sound like you felt like you were seen and heard for you as an individual. Mm -hmm. Or accepted. I didn't I, yeah, in hindsight, it doesn't sound like it. Uh, but at the time, I didn't realize that I wasn't mm -hmm. being seen and being heard. I just thought that there was something wrong with me, that what is wrong with me, I need to fix whatever is wrong with me. Because once I fix that, I'll be a better person. My parents will be more pleased. I'll be more likable. What is wrong with me that why can't I just turn on a switch and this will happen? Like, so, so I just always thought that it was me, you know, mm -hmm. that I always had some kind of issue that I always, what was the word that's always been used? I was always very insecure, which I was insecure, but just this, those kind of things. But in hindsight, I just remember that it wasn't me. Like, for example, we would have to go to these family gatherings and, you know, I would have to kind of, you know, socialize with, with some of my older like aunts, uncles. And I remember one of my uncles would always kind of tease me about whatever, just the way I looked or if I had a boyfriend It made me really, really uncomfortable, you know, and I didn't know to say, listen, I didn't have boundaries. I guess that's the best way to explain it was 
I had no boundaries. I didn't know what boundaries were. I don't think they knew what boundaries were just because of their culture, maybe. But there were no boundaries. And so I would just have this look on my face like I was irritated. So I would take that as something wrong with me because it was so irritating to me. So I thought that I was like just a bitch, basically. But in hindsight, it's like, no, that's wrong. Like you're crossing your boundaries. I don't want you to talk to me that way. But I never had that. I never had that knowledge, that power, you know, to look at it that way as a kid. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you have gained a lot of insight about yourself from probably all of your years of growth. And I want to revisit that at the end of our time together later, what you, you know, maybe you can marinate on this, what you would tell your little self from back yeah. then, if you were I able think about to. That a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a, a really neat thing to put a cherry on the top at the end of our conversation with you. So going a, a little bit further in your timeline, as you are getting into marrying age, what were your dreams for your future? And in particular, what was your view about your future spouse? What were your must-haves? What was your list? Tall, dark, handsome, that sort of thing. Well, let me backtrack a little bit because, okay, to my high school years, because when I was in high school, I had a pretty serious boyfriend. I mean, he loved me. I know he loved me. I loved him. He he was a big part of my family for a while. And then I think it was like two years and it's kind of my fault. Okay. But, but we did, we were on a break and I ended up like whatever, kissing or making out with somebody else. Okay. But we were on a break. Um, so, so that kind of ended things. And, you know, it was bittersweet. He was my first love. He, he adored me. I know that because he reached back out to me even long after he was married because, you know, Facebook ruins lives basically. So he reached back out to me. But before that, like, so that was my very first experience. That was my very first love and it devastated me. And I never had anything like that for a long, long time afterwards. So I was kind of yearning for that same thing. So honestly, it wasn't even something, I didn't even think about what would please me. Of course, I wanted somebody good looking, you know, tall, dark, handsome, etc. But I wanted someone to want me. It was more important to me for me to be pleasing to them, to whoever my future husband would be, my future boyfriend would be, than for them to, you know, check off everything on my list. I really, really wanted to be desired more than anything. That was a feeling that I wanted to be wanted. I wanted that my entire life. And I even, I would picture, I would visualize myself, you know, like in a wedding dress, just, just for fun, like looking at all of the different wedding styles and, and whatnot. But I always just wanted my whoever to want me, you know, whether they checked everything off on my list or not, but I wanted them to want me. That was big. Yeah. Gosh, I so relate to that. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Mm. It's a valid desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even mm-hmm. think about, well, what can you do for me? What will this person mm-hmm. do for me? How will this person provide for me? You know, nothing, none of that. None of that crossed my mind until until now. Mm-hmm. So how how do you relate that strong number one desire in finding a future spouse with how you were raised? Again, distant father. You know, distant father, in hindsight, I know that, I mean, he doesn't believe in therapy, but I know that he has his issues, but I, I know it's it's distant father, 1000%. I, I never knew of any other kind of relationship. You know, they had a very, my parents got divorced. Ultimately, I was in my 20s. I begged them earlier on to get divorced because he was so verbally abusive to her, which mirrors a lot of what I went through. Not as bad. I would say he was a good father. He would never do anything to intentionally hurt my brother and I. He would listen to my brother and I, but he was a really terrible husband. I mean, he talked down to her. He, you know, called her every name under the sun. It was just, he held grudges. I mean, it was just, I remember even when I was a kid and we would go to Disneyland or we would go to these places I remember my mom attempting to hold his hand and I thought it was just like so cringe and so awkward because it's not something that I ever saw. And, you know, when my dad became more successful, you know, he would go on these like company parties on these yachts and whatever. And I remember at one company party, because, you know, he had like a certain group of like computery people and his name was Brian and he brought his family. And 
he brought his family and I remember like Brian caressing his daughter on on the head you know and I was just like oh my god like I can't believe they're doing you know it was just so foreign to me that kind of warmth you know and even if my mom would display that kind of warmth with my dad around that would be foreign to me too I mean my dad was just uh, there was none of that at all. It, it took a long time to even learn how to say I love you. And my mom like coached my brother and I like, I remember we were on my um, bunk bed and my mom was like, I love you. And I was just like, okay, like, you know, it was so I, I don't even remember how old I was maybe like seven or eight. And my mom was just like, no, you say, I love you. This is what it's like. And I remember my dad back then always saying, oh my God, like, why are you so corny? So I was so confused what a relationship was. So finally we did learn to say, I love you. You say, I love, I love you all the time now. But yeah, it, it was just a very toxic upside down kind of messed up relationship that I grew to know as what, you know, a relationship was basically mm -hmm. and stuff that I would see on TV. So <laughs> Yeah. Right. right. So oh, that's an interesting point that you bring up. I was going to ask you, do you feel like the relationship that was modeled for you by your parents was the type of relationship you were seeking for your future? No. Or did you no, feel like disgusting. you you could see other examples of other types of relationships and that, like and I how said, did that on affect TV? you? on tv you know yeah. like like little like romantic comedies or whatever like here and there and of course i wanted that more than anything else in the whole wide world i wanted that more than anything i would have given up anything to have that to have a taste of that i had that with my ex i'll call him dan but i had that with him yeah i had that with him i was really lucky to have that so early on but that is something that I've always, even after Dan, after all that, that's something that I've always, always yearned for because I knew it was so wrong. I didn't want anybody anywhere close to what my dad was like at all. And I ended up with somebody identical, you know, and I learned from therapy, of course, that in a room of a thousand people, I would have found him, which is just so bizarre to me. What's the reason for that? That you, in a room of a thousand men, you would- I just remember- I remember him saying that. And I remember, I really don't know, but I think it's because maybe because I was, my, my self-worth was so lacking that that's what I would have gravitated towards. I really don't know how I ended up with somebody so similar when I didn't see any similarities at all from the get-go. Yeah, I don't know that. Still wow. Yeah, that is a mystery. And so I think it would be interesting to, you know, move on to the next set of questions that we have for you. What was the beginning of the relationship like? The love bombing, the grooming, mm -hmm. and then what, what was it that hooked you to mm -hmm. him? And I think that's a really interesting place to begin to examine, you know, why did I choose this person? Mm -hmm. When, you know, you were so dead set against having a relationship like your parents had. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I think it would be interesting to see what those initial beginning interactions, et cetera, were with your ex. So I met him in my early twenties and this was, this was the era of MySpace. So that's how I met him was on MySpace. And oh, I think it was like this dog, like, cause I had this English bulldog that I was obsessed with. And I think it was like this, just like this dog whatever this dog group and I thought this guy was cute and you know whatever he had a dog too so we had planned for our dogs to meet up so that was when I first met him was at a dog park and I thought of course in my mind again the movies you know in my mind holy shit this is it I'm meeting this guy at a dog park this is freaking it you know like this is like a cute meet this is it so I was kind of like basing all of my knowledge on like a healthy relationship based off of what I would read and what I saw on screen because I, I didn't know anything else. And everything went fine, you know, our dogs played. And I remember not really being like super into him, but he was fine. And I knew that he was really into me. And to me, that meant more than me being into him. I didn't care about that aspect, you know? I just wanted to be like desired. I wanted that. So it kind of progressed from there. And I could tell that he was really into me, which I was surprised because we didn't really talk. We just like, kind of like, watched our dogs you know we were like babysitting our dogs the relationship progressed pretty quickly I would say after maybe two three meetups um, he wanted me to meet his friends which again I'm like oh my god I'm worthy to meet this person's friends you know I mean 
I was just, I had such low self-esteem. Like his friends were just kind of like, they were just, you know, what is it called when they're like crashing, crashing like at your house? Just like freeloaders. Freeloaders. That's the word. They were like freeloaders. And I didn't even care. I just wanted to be like this awesome person. Fast forward, I think maybe like two months, maybe even less. He had said, I love you at this, like at this one event that we had gone to. And I'm like, I got it. Yes. But I never even thought or contemplated like, do I love this person? No, I just wanted to be loved. And for him to say those words to me was such a big deal. Like I needed those words, you know, because prior to that, I had this relationship that I wanted him to love me so much, so much. And again, I don't even know if I loved him, but the fact that he didn't say it to me drove me insane. It drove me crazy. You know, in hindsight, I didn't really even care for him that much, but I needed to hear those words because that's what validated who I was. That's where my self-worth came from. So when he said that, I'm like, boom, you know, there's my self-worth right there. So fast forward, I got knocked up. I got knocked up with my son. I, at the time, was not ready to get married. Also, I was raised Catholic, but I never, you know, it was never like forced onto me. I, 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 it's not like hardcore, not that there's anything wrong with this, like hardcore, non-denominational, evangelical Christian. It, it was never like that. It was just like, be a good person, whatever, go to, go to church if you want to. And that was it. But his family was extremely opposite. I've never experienced anything like this. It was extreme biblical thinking. And I'm not knocking that. It just really turned me off. I mean, for me personally, I've never even considered religion as a factor up until I had met these people. So the mom really wanted us to get married. And, you know, looking back on it, I needed to get married because I didn't have insurance and he did. It was just one of the most unromantic ceremonies ever. I was knocked up. I remember throwing up. I think I was wearing black. Um, We had, and we just got married at a courthouse here. And it was already kind of getting bad at that point, I remember, because I remember him kind of like, you know, being irritable at his animals, like his dog. I remember him like kind of like yelling at his dog or I, I could just see the way he treated his animal. Yeah, he loved him, but it wasn't like they were well kept, you know, like he never really took him to the vet. He never, you know, gave them any like flea and tick medication. So I did see that as a red flag, but I didn't think anything of it. And then I remember at one point, my bulldog had like accidentally like thrown up on his bed or something. And he became irate. He was screaming and he ended up punching a wall. And I rem- and this was before we got married. And I remember just being in shock because up until that time, it was a ton of love bombing. It was like, you're so special to me. I love you so much. Lovey-dovey-dovey. You know, let me take you out to eat. Let me do this. And then it was just like this Jekyll and Hyde thing that he just like punched the wall. I've never seen him like that. And I remember getting up from his apartment and saying, listen, I'm leaving. I need to get some space. And he apologized profusely, of course. And then I accepted, of course, and then I didn't think anything of it. But that was where everything kind of began to unravel and um, things got really, really bad. That's That was the start of it. Another red flag that I should have known was, and I, I ignored because, like I said, I wanted to be desired, was that he smoked pot, a lot of pot, every day, almost 24-7. He was high almost 24-7. It was like, a month on pot alone. I mean, he couldn't be without weed. And I just completely ignore that because this guy loved me and I needed to be loved. And what the hell did I know about being married? You know, I mean, I thought I could just ignore it, but he was high 24 seven. And when he wasn't high, he was a different person. I mean, it was scary. There's so much to tell, but I'll let you ask questions because there's so much to yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, this is interesting that you did experience the abuse cycle with, and part of that is the love bombing. And he said the things that you wanted to hear and, but his actions didn't line up. Right. But then you married under, under different circumstances yes. than we typically hear about in, you know, getting swept off your feet and it was yeah. a marriage of necessity versus 
anything yeah. else. So I'm really interested to hear how it escalates based on that, because getting married under pressure like that, I'm sure adds to everyone's stress and he's stressed and he's high. And so he's his behavior has got to be even more erratic. Was he better behaved? Did he treat you better when he was high or not high? He treated me better when he was extremely high. Like there were there there are phases of it. Like he would be running out of pot, but he still had a little bit left. And so the more pot he had in his system, the better he treated me. But it wasn't even like him treating me well. It was just him ignoring the fact that he was angry at something, you know? So I would have taken that. I would have settled for that over him screaming at this or that. That happened quickly, you know, right on the get-go of when we got married. I also remember me wanting to be with this person because he would compare me to his wonderful ex-girlfriends, but they were like, he talked about them like shit, but I'm like, you know, like one of his ex-girlfriends graduated from Berkeley. And at the time I'm like, wow, Berkeley, like she's amazing. And he thinks I'm better than this person. Holy moly. Like I must be, I need this affirmation. You know, I need this. So that's another per- reason why I wanted to stay with this person because I didn't think anybody else would view me in this way, regardless of what I thought about him. Soon after we got married, yeah, it got really stressful. He was high all the time. It got to the point where, I mean, I was really, really sick 24-7 for both of my pregnancies, but it got to the point where I was he was going out like almost nightly, and I would have preferred that because he at least he was out of the house. I mean, it, it was immediate. It was immediate. He was screaming. It was nonstop screaming, you know, breaking. So one moment that really stood out in my mind, early on when we got married was I was pregnant with my son, Timmy, and it was around December, which was my birthday. And he had gotten me like, um, you know, like a gift certificate to get like a massage and all that stuff done. So I went, he, he, you know, it was nice of him and let me back up. So before that, he used to like, like to like focus on making these puzzles. So he had a pit bull. I had an English bulldog. Okay. His pit bull, he never walked the dog. That's another like I should have, I should have walked out right then and there. He never walked the dog. I picked up after the dog, even though I was pregnant, both dogs. And course he never walked his pit bull I mean a pit bull needs to be walked we were in a tiny little condo and I remember he picked me up from from my spa and getting my nails done and I could see the look on his face and it was just this look I knew he was really mad I knew something was going to blow up and I said what's going on is everything okay and then finally he told me you know like the dog messed up my puzzle and my god like I just knew that this was going to be a major blow up. I mean, that's not normal. But for me, I just remember being so, so scared. I remember I texted my mom. I'm like, mom, oh my God, I'm so scared. The dog like messed up his puzzle. And I said, okay, well, just stay calm. And he's like, I am effing calm. He started driving erratically on the road. Like it was crazy. At this point in the episode, we would like to issue a very strong trigger warning. There was a very graphic description of animal cruelty for the next 30 seconds. Please fast forward 30 seconds if you do not want to hear this. We get home and the dog, I feel so bad for this dog. And he's shaking. He's shaking. I mean, this this is a pit bull, a massive pit bull. And he's shaking in the corner. And I said, you know, it's okay. It's okay. And he cannot stop shaking. And my ex-husband takes him, corners him in the kitchen and repeatedly starts punching him in the face, in the face, this dog. And I was so triggered and I wanted to call the cops. I was, I didn't know what to do because I was pregnant. You know, I had my dog, thank God, but I had my mom pick him up. And I I was, I was so, I mean, I was, it was terrorizing. It was terrorizing. I wanted somebody to adopt that dog and take that dog away. He ended up biting his, biting his lip. Of course he did, like that he was cornered. And he was just like, oh no, my God, I'm ugly now. What do I do? And I didn't know what to do. So, you know, I called my mom and my stepdad who live up the street and my brother took him to the hospital. I'm here trying to console this dog. I'm in tears because I've never seen anybody treat an animal like this. I should have left them right then and there. But then I would have been like this fatherless, you know, mother, right? That was hard. That was the beginning of the end, but knowing how he could treat an animal that was so loyal to him and he was this asshole i never saw him the same way ever 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 again that was the beginning of the end 
That is horrific. I mean, it's it is horrific to hear about people that mistreat our vulnerable animals. And it's a huge red flag. You know, it's a huge red banner to run away, you know, but in your situation with where you were at in your headspace and your time of life, that time of life for you, you know, I can't blame you. I cannot blame you at all for needing to stay and justifying or rationalizing the best way you could. Because, you know, at that point, and it's a very vulnerable time for a woman when she's pregnant and, you know, instinctually it goes back hundreds of thousands of years of human existence and in any animal that cares for their young, you need a protector, plain and simple. And that goes against everything in us to get rid of the protector. Even if I did everything I could to just try to rationalize like, okay, in my mind, and he, I remember him even saying, well, he's a pit bull. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no fucking way, you know, like this dog was the kindest dog on the planet because my dog would never put up with that, would have never put up with that. And he's this like lazy bulldog, but like, this was the most loyal dog. But I remember thinking just like the optics, how would I look? How would, you know, and I'm so ashamed of it, honestly, now. And, and I wish if, I mean, that's one thing I would have definitely said to my, to my younger self was don't give a shit about optics you know, Mm -hmm. but that is something shamefully that came across my mind was how would it look if I, if the father left me, you know, before I had a kid, but definitely red flag. I think that's very common. Would you Mm -hmm. agree Mm -hmm. that people in that situation have that inclination to Mm -hmm. stay because of the optics and pride Mm -hmm. in addition to, you know, needing someone that is going to be there to nurture and protect and raise the child with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very, very normal thing, you know, to be worried about. And, you know, given your need to also feel loved and desired, and you're accustomed to the way your dad treated your mom, it's just, you know, you were pre-wired and conditioned to accept mm-hmm. the behavior. And then coupled with the pressure of a baby on the way, I can, you know, I don't see how anybody, I just think it's a very normal reaction that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a trauma response really is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and we talk a lot about in the abuse cycle, you know, there's this devaluing stage and then the hoovering and all mm-hmm. of that. And I mean, there, there is some of this, but it, some of that, but it just seems like all of it is happening at one time. It's not as linear as it was for me. Your story is not as linear, you know, predictable. He seems a little bit more oh, unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. It was very unpredictable. That, that was where the terror was because you never knew when it would happen. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, I remember the mom, his mom finding out. And I, it's, I feel like it's common with a lot of my friends who had had similar experiences was the mother-in-law is like the driving force behind this like perfect golden child and he could do no wrong and that was where so much of my frustration I not even frustration hate and I I don't use that word lightly but I hated that woman for creating this monster and um, I remember her thinking well you know it's the breed of this dog and then I remember her saying is it okay if maybe we borrow him. I borrow him from you for maybe a week so he could decompress and I could bring him back to God. And that was when I became at that point really bitter towards the whole Christianity. I was disgusted by it, you know, and I I never grew up like that. I was just so completely turned off. I didn't want to have anything to do with it because of how she used it that way, you know? Um, bringing him back to God, they're so godly. Well, he's a godly person. I mean, I I just couldn't wrap my mind around something so evil being, you know, Christian. Like I, it was just I I didn't understand it at all. But I remember when he was gone for a while because he was healing over in where he's from, and I remember being so at peace and just loving that peace and not wanting him to come back. You know, and at that time, of course, the love bombing comes back, the whole, you know, cycle of like the trying to be honeymoon period, like, I love you. Oh, my God, I'll never do this again. So that's the beginning of the cycle. And then, of course, it happens again. But that was one of the main events when I saw how cruel 
this person was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would he apologize after? Absolutely. Blow ups. Uh-huh. Yeah. Every time after blow ups. Mm-hmm. And then I would get blamed for not accepting the apology right away or for, I mean, how, I mean, how could I, I was still in that state of shock. You know, I couldn't be so lovey dovey. I mean, I couldn't just turn it off, you know, mm-hmm. and then it would be my fault because, you know, I was being unreasonable and I was being too emotional and, you know, I wanted to keep fighting. It was me. I was on a witch hunt. You know, a lot of those terms, you're in a witch hunt. Are you okay? Are you being delusional? So a lot of that, that's when it all kind of started happening. A lot of events like that. I have it all in my, well, and here's another thing is that I did start journaling and I did leave him at one time after I'm fast forwarding here, but let me just tell you after I had my daughter and he found it and I, he ripped so many pages off. I can't believe I still have this thing, but yeah, I remember even writing like, is it me? You know, is there something wrong with me? And I remember writing, this was like back in 2015 and it was about him losing his remote control or losing the remote control. And I knew that that was something that would trigger him. And I remember thinking, like, I remember writing, like, I am so proud of him for not losing his mind when he couldn't find the remote. Like, that was just, that deserved praise and to be written, you know? Like, that I was that kind of terror that I was in, like, just eggshells 24-7. And, of course, he would apologize. And, of course, in public, everybody thought he was just, like, this great dad, this, this amazing husband, this amazing person. Yeah. I mean, nobody would ever believe it, of course, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like it fits the pattern of an abusive cycle, an, an abusive marriage, truly. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know they're abusers and not mentally ill is because they can turn it on and off. And so if people think he's great and he's a different way at home. That's, yeah. that's and, a big red flag. And like I said, this was, this was never physical. He knew he was smart enough to never lay a hand on me. You know, he well, was, he, he hit the dog instead. <laughs> yeah the, the dog of course and the wall and the, the wall. walls of course he would probably he, he would blame it on the dog and then once the kids were older he'd blame it on the kids yeah it was sheer and utter terror mm-hmm. you know and we we've mentioned before in previous episodes that once they hit something once they break something that is physical abuse even mm-hmm. though it's not to your physical mm-hmm. being right mm-hmm. lisa mm-hmm. right Right. And I learned that later on too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said, what is wrong with you? I mean, like I've never hit you. I never laid a hand on you. Oh, excuse me for being human. Excuse me for being frustrated now and again. And I really thought it was me. For, I was so confused. Mm-hmm. You know, are you okay? You were having postpartum issues. Oh my God, sit down. What's wrong? No, 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 no. You need to sit down. Are you okay? Okay. You're like, like how you're looking at me right now. He would be like, why are you looking? See, I told, I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Okay. Maybe you just need to, he would just keep talking like that. And of course I would be like, shut up, stop it. Oh, see, that's why I knew it. I knew it. You're not okay. You know, it it was gaslighting like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so hard to explain to a sane person, to, to a healthy, healthy people. Mm -hmm. Impossible to explain, you know, but it's all over the place. It's really all over the place. Like I, yeah, it's crazy how common it is especially when they present themselves as this functioning, rational, logical person, mm-hmm. charismatic person to everybody else. And then mm-hmm. they come home and be- behind closed doors, you see this other side, mm-hmm. probably their true side. Their true side. Yeah. I mean, his true side came out. There were sides of him that came out at work too. I mean, he would, but he, of course he would blame it on his coworkers they were being assholes, they were racist somehow, even though he's Caucasian, you know, you know, of course, it was always them, but he would throw tools, he, you know, he couldn't stay at one job for an extended period of time. And so all of this happened. And, you know, ultimately, so much more to the story, but I ended up, you know, wanting to leave and then ultimately leaving. And it was just so much all of this it's a, it's a soap opera, man. I'm telling you, like, there's so, so much happened. I mean, I left once. He begged for me back. It was after I had my daughter. And of course, I came back and it was like a nice period. And he promised that his mom would be gone because she was a huge problem. She called him every single day. 
And at first I thought, okay, thank God, at least he's close with his mom. Maybe I can confide in his mother. But no, that didn't happen. It's so much. Yeah, it's a lot. How long? Well, so he, you know, he was already abusive and not, not a, didn't cherish you like like a partner, a husband would. How many years went by between you getting married and kind of your wake up call? or the scales falling off. How long was that? Would you say? You know, I was miserable for like, for a really long time. I stayed for the kids. Mm -hmm. But for years, for years, I didn't want him touching me. And he would just like grope me in random places, even if I another trigger warning. We would like to issue a very strong trigger warning. Lily discusses a very graphic description of sexual abuse she suffered. Please fast forward about a minute and 30 seconds if you feel you might be triggered. Thank you. He would just um, grope me and rant like, you know, grope whatever, like my body, like just just my privates without any warning, no nothing. I would, it got to the point, and this was for years, that I wanted to look as ugly as possible for him. I always wanted to wear pajamas with rags. I always just wanted to look awful for him because I was disgusted. And the way he just like, sexualized me it felt like molestation in hindsight it was now I know that you know I remember talking to my mom about this too and she was just like just you know and I'm like mom I can't stand it when he touches me you know and she knew how bad it was because he showed his true self to my mom and my stepdad too but you know the way she pacified it was like if you do this then he'll be like passed out for like the rest of the day so we always had like a signal I'm like mom I need five minutes and that was like just give me five minutes and then he'll be passed out. But I didn't want him touching me. It, the thought of him touching me. And I don't know. Again, trigger warning. Have you guys ever seen Game of Thrones? You know I that haven't. Part? Tony has, I think. Okay. You know that part with Daenerys where she's with the guy and he's like screwing her for the first time? Her, um, the, hu- the husband that she was forced husband. to marry? Yeah. Yes. And they have sex for the first time? I always think about that scene every single time I was forced to have sex with him every single, single time. I just, I'm like, I just have to get through this. If I can just get through this, if I can just get through this. But it was like, he would just finger me like randomly. It was just such a violation. Mm. And he said, you're supposed to like this. Anybody, like most women would love for their husbands to do this. You know, what is wrong with you? But yeah, and I then I thought it was me. I'm like, okay, well, maybe. Maybe I'm just like going through menopause. I had no idea. Yeah, I was like really, really, really confused. So. Wow. Yeah. There's so much. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't expecting like I I, I would have been better prepped. I thought we were just going to have like a little mean. Read, but oh, I, I know. No, we. To, yeah. We caught you off guard, I think, yeah. completely. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about um, we've got such a good amount for a first episode and you filled in some some stories. But we're going to dive deeper into the true abuse cycle that you experienced with him and then mm-hmm. how you came out on the other side. For the second part, if you'd like to, if you're amenable to that, we can maybe stick more to an outline of the abuse cycle. What do you think, Lisa? And then, like I said, coming out of it, because it sounds like so much of the story that you want to tell is how you come out of it. And it is. And, and, and I also want to share that just because, especially if you have children, you know, or if you have money together, that just because you're divorced does not mean that you're away from the abuse. You know, some oftentimes the abuse is even tenfold after you sign those papers because they're so bitter. Mm-hmm. So that's right. one of, something I want to convey. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. And this just kind of came to me, maybe we make three episodes and we go through the abuse cycle. And then the third one is what you want to share and educate other people about, because it sounds like you have a wealth of information to share. Yeah. And and I have so much knowledge of the court system now. Yes. Uh, And I think that would be a lot to put in a second episode. So are you open to that? Absolutely. I love sharing anytime you can have my time. Yeah, I, I love it. I just I just want to be able to give back, yeah. you know, after coming out of this, it, because so many people are suffering, so many kids are suffering. It's just, it's heartbreaking. So many animals are freaking suffering. It's just like ridiculous. Yeah. You're so right about that. And the animal thing is such a huge part of it, it and how they treat animals and children yes. Yes. and elderly is yes. a huge and elderly. Red flag. Mm-hmm. Yes. And right? that connection with like 
being praised and then them having trauma themselves, you know, I didn't even touch into that. But I mean, there's a whole reason why he is a narcissist. And it's largely because of his mother. And so Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Narcissists are, you know, I, I think they're a lot made. of times they're, they're born. But yes, I think yes. they're definitely made by yes. parenting or parental figures. Yeah, true. Well, and the fact that I thought, I'm stupid enough. I thought that he would change because he's finally accepted to take the bipolar medications, but no. And this is something new that I'm learning because I'm like, it's, it's gotta be, I mean, he's medicated. No, they don't change. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And Lisa, right. Lindy Bancroft goes into that Mm -hmm. as well. It has nothing to do with other mental conditions. Narcissism stands alone. Yes. Right. Narcissists don't change because they can't. And abusers don't change because they don't want to. Mm. So if you have a narcissistic abuser. Double jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. Double whammy. Yeah. Double whammy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So Lily, thank you so much for joining us on this first part of our multi-part interview with you. And we just really appreciate your time and your insight and the knowledge that you're sharing so bravely with everybody. And we will continue next time with your story. We're going to dig a little more deeply into the abuse cycle that you can exemplify for our listeners. And it looks like we're going to have a third conversation with you about how you prevailed and prevailing, sharing knowledge of the court system and how to help women and especially women with children post-divorce. Exactly. Well, again, thank you, Lily, so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We will be talking with you next time on Here's Here's Your Red Red Flag. Flag. (laughs) Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rating. Thanks, y'all. Butterfly, whoa, can I die?